You're listening to the John Stapleton Podcast. Today, I'm going to address this stupid claim that I hear almost every day, which is, that's your interpretation of the Bible. (laughs) Guys, there's only one interpretation of the Bible. Today, I'm going to walk you through the 12 stages of the biblical story so that you can see that there is, in fact, one interpretation of the Bible. There's one story, one interpretation. Here we go. The first stage is creation. The Bible reveals that God created the earth. God created everything that we can see, everything that we cannot see. And as the apex of his creation, he created Adam and Eve. He created humanity. And he told them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. They did not listen to God. They rebelled against God and sin entered into the world. This is why people are just really bad to each other. And so God brings a flood to reset and he starts with Noah and his family and from Noah and his family come the patriarchs we had we get Abraham we get Isaac we get Jacob and this takes us through the rest of Genesis and then also in that patriarchal period we get the book of Job Job lived to the land in the east he lived in us and then after the patriarchal stage you get the exodus stage God's people had to move to Egypt for food because there was a famine in the land of Canaan back home. And they stayed there. And after Joseph died, there was a new Pharaoh that didn't know anything about Joseph, didn't care about Joseph. Uh, this, By the way, this is just a quick lesson in learning history. If you don't know your history, you're going to repeat it. And so he enslaves Israel. God hears the cries of their oppression. So he raises up Moses to go and deliver them. And so he does. And this is what enters us into the Exodus stage. This is the books Exodus, Numbers, sorry, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, so God gives them the law. And this is, hey, this is as a people, this is how I want you to live. This is how I'm commanding you to live. I am your God, you are my people, and I will go before you as your king. So live according to these laws. And these laws, by the way, make sense. Not to us necessarily, uh, but it would have made sense to them because, you know what, there wasn't any scientific study that, sh- that said, you know what, certain seafood has mercury, stay away from that. Oh, this food, it, it goes bad, it rots. Uh, there wasn't that level of science back then. So God told them what they should eat, and what they can eat, and what they cannot eat. And if they do this, they would be healthy. And the law also had a lot of other civical, uh, civil uh, duties, civil uh, provisions that really help judges, you know, judge cases. And so you find a lot of this in the book of Deuteronomy, where you know, like one example is if a guy is chopping down a tree and the axe head falls off and it flies and it kills another man, he can run to a city of refuge. Right. So there is a, you know, like the people are still responsible for killing the murderer, but the murderer out of his own good conscience can flee to a city of refuge for safety. Now, I know some of you would be like, well, you know, uh, that's subjective. What is he really guilty? Listen, you're not the judge. I'm just saying these were good laws. These were good laws. And then and then we get into the conquest stage. So Israel circled the wilderness for 40 years because they wouldn't obey God. They wouldn't trust God. And so 
um, God had to wait for that generation to die out before Joshua's generation could be raised up. And as, as, as Joshua's generation is raised up, they go into the land of Canaan and, and they, they, they have to fight through, um, you know, different nations that don't want them there. They have to fight giants. Um, these are the, the descendants of the Anak, the, the descendants of the, the giants that we read about in Genesis six, they're all over Canaan. And so as God is telling them to kill people, uh, that's what they're doing. They're taking their land back. They are killing the giants. They are, um, they are also killing nations that are, that just quite frankly act as thugs and, and bullies. And, it, and these are nations that have no regard for life. They sacrifice their own sons and daughters. And so this is what God is doing. He's establishing his own kingdom through his own people. And, and this is what it looked like back in this stage of redemptive history. And I don't judge God for it at all. Next, you get the judges stage. So Joshua dies, and this is when the people just don't have a leader. And if you've ever wondered how would society act if we had total anarchy, look at the book of Judges. A constant phrase in the book of Judges is that people had no king, and so they did whatever felt right in their own eyes. And as a result, there's a lot of rape and murder and killing uh, and stealing. And there's a story of a guy uh, chopping his concubine into 12 different parts because, you know, she was raped and he did nothing about it. Um, this, is, this, is the, this is the world that they lived in. We need a king. We need moral guidance. When there's no moral guidance, society turns into that. And so the... And so this, this brings us into 1 Samuel. And Samuel is the first prophet since Moses. And, and Samuel leads Israel until the day where they say, we want a king. And, you know, Samuel hates this because it's a bad idea. In fact, there's this interesting passage in Deuteronomy where God predicts the day where the people are going to grow rebellious and they're going to ask for a king. And so God actually gives them the provisions for the king when they ask for him. But there, but that was never supposed to be the plan. That was never the plan. Uh, God was supposed to be their ruler. God was supposed to be their king. And so King Saul is anointed because he is handsome and tall and he just looks like royalty. And, and he starts off good, but then he, his real character is revealed. He, 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 he goes bad. So what happened is there was a war. King Saul needs to fight this war, but before he fought this war, he was going to offer a sacrifice to God to ensure the success of the war. And Samuel was running a little behind. And so Saul grew impatient and and offered the sacrifice himself. This is Saul entering uh, the, the priestly role that he wasn't supposed to. He was supposed to just act as a king and wait for Samuel, but he didn't. And so when Samuel gets to him, he says, hey, the kingdom is, is going to be torn from you. Uh, the, the kingdom is going to be taken from you and given to another. And ever since then, Saul goes mad. God's spirit departs from him. An evil spirit from the Lord is harassing him. And the only way he can get peace is when David plays the harp for him. David is also the next king. So fast forward, David's the next king. He's a good king. He's a decent king, except he had adultery. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. And to cover the, uh, for that, he murdered Uriah by having him on the front lines of the war where he would be shot first. And so as a result, Nathan the prophet 
comes to David and says, okay, the kingdom is going to be torn. There's going to be peace in your lifetime, but it's going to be torn. It's not going to endure forever. The sword will never leave your house. There is always going to be violence and, and infighting in your house. And so David dies. This brings us up to first Kings. Solomon takes the reins. Solomon builds the temple for God. God never really wanted a temple to begin with, but Solomon was like, Hey, I live in a house and, and you're still in a tent. So God's like, okay, I, I accept this building, but if you ever act up, I'm rejecting this building and you from this land, which is exactly what happened. But more on that later, Solomon does well. He's, he's one of the, he's the wisest man of his time, except he takes on many foreign women. These are politically, these are alliances with their neighbors and, and, and God never told them to make such deals. But he marries, he, mar- he marries the daughter of Pharaoh. He marries several other women, and they draw his heart away from the Lord. And then King Solomon has a son, Jeroboam. There's another guy, Rehoboam. They're competing for the thrones. They, one has the Israel, um, the northern kingdom. One has the southern kingdom. And then in both kingdoms, it's just a succession of bad king after bad king after bad king. And every now and then you get a good king like Josiah, but it's just bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, exile. Assyrians take the northern kingdom. Babylon takes the southern kingdom. And so we go from the judges stage to the um, united stage to the chaotic kingdom stage to the Babylonian captivity. And this is where we pick up the books of Daniel and Ezekiel. And then after the captivity, which lasts 70 years, uh, the prophet Jeremiah said that they would come back to their land. And that's exactly what happens. And so this is where we get the books Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Esther, by the way, is still in Persia. <clears throat> but Nehemiah and Ezra are a part of the building efforts. And then after that, we get the gospel stage. Now, the gospel sta- stage skips 400 years where God didn't say anything to the people. But this is where the one that we were waiting for, the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, he shows up. This is what Christmas is all about. He shows up and he does what Israel failed to do. He does what every Israelite king failed to do. He is the perfect mediator between God and man. And he is the perfect representative for Israel. And so he he comes, he preaches the good news, he heals, he establishes the kingdom by, by, by many signs as he's teaching about the kingdom, and this happens for three years. And then the people get so offended that they kill him, but he rises from the dead. And then he gives the mission on to the apostles, and he goes into heaven, and this is where the church is born. This is where we get the book of Acts. And then this is when we get the epistle stage. This is where we get the letters Romans through Revelation. And these are the apostles teaching the church how to live and how to think about the faith. And so really, when you think about these 12 stages, I'll say them again. There's creation. There's patriarchal stage. There's the exodus stage. There's the conquest. There's the judges, the United Kingdom, the chaotic kingdom, the Babylonian captivity uh, stage. There's the return stage. There's the gospel stage. There's the early church stage. There's the epistle stage. There's one interpretation of the Bible in these 12 stages. And anyone who doesn't walk away uh, from the Bible with this understanding has not read it, 
Mark my words. They have not read the Bible. They don't know what they're talking about. They're cherry-picking a story or a verse or some weird thing, and they're making a whole big deal out of it why they don't believe in God and why Christianity is stupid and why the Bible is a myth when all this... when. When all that really lacks here is scholastic intelligence from its critics. You hate scholastics. You don't even read it. How can you have an opinion about something that you don't read? Listen, the Bible is the story about a perfect, holy, and unique God who moves towards sinful people in love, even though they reject him. And the understanding that the Bible gives us provides a worldview to make sense of evil and suffering. It makes sense of where we came from and where we're going. And, and so listen, the central message of the Bible is the gospel, the good news that God sent Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins and our offenses against God so that we might be saved from God to God for God. Don't get it twisted. I'll see you next time. God bless.